0: Teenagers around the world are suffering from mental health disorders at an alarming rate. And while smartphones and social media often get the blame for rising anxiety and depression, including on this show, Dr. Peter Gray from Boston College has published a piece in the Journal of Pediatrics with a different theory. He says kids just aren't playing enough. Peter argues kids who aren't allowed to play freely lose their sense of autonomy, have trouble thinking independently and have difficulty working through problems with other kids. They can become teenagers who don't have the skills to deal with the stresses of life. We have a link on our website to Dr. Peter Gray's Substack, which is called Play Makes Us Human. And Peter joins us now. Hello there. Hello. And let's start with this most arresting quote. You say children are less free today than they were in the times of child slavery in the industrial age. I'm sure you're trying to provoke with that statement, but uh, nonetheless, you believe it's true.
1: I don't think I said quite that. I think what I have said (laughs) is that children are less free today than children have, as far as we can tell, have ever been with the exception of children who were uh, enslaved or children who were in uh, intensive child labor. Uh, anthropologists who've studied children around the world, historians who've looked at the history of play in modern cultures, uh, all agree that children are being deprived of play today in ways that simply has not been true in the past, except for those exceptions that I just mentioned.
0: It's a pretty tough nut to crack: the um, the causation or correlation. Can you um, present your argument for why a lack of play might lead to a decline in mental health?
1: Yes. Yeah, so well, in the in the paper that you mentioned, this article was published in the Journal of Pediatrics. Um, that I published along with an anthropologist, David Lancey, and a cognitive development psychologist, uh, David Jorklin, um, we summarize a wide variety of evidence, as well as theory for why one would expect that depriving children of play, and not just play, but independent activity generally, uh, where children today are more or less micromanaged all the time, uh, we talk about why uh, this would lead to anxiety and depression. First of all, the empirical evidence. There are lots of correlational evidence. Of course, correlations can all, all, always, if, if you're just looking at one kind of correlation, you're not sure which is cause and which is effect. But the initial correlation that drew my attention is the fact that this rise in anxiety and depression and um uh, heaven forbid suicide, even among young people has uh, is not just recent. Uh, this increase has been going on now for several decades. It well precedes the time of the internet uh, the The beginning of the rise in mental disorders among young people began really, and this is data from the United States, uh, began really uh, around 1960. It began to to accelerate in the 1980s. The 1980s was the time of the biggest acceleration acceleration of these um, mental disorder problems of anxiety, depression, and suicide rate among young people. It continued to rise. There was a little bit of a plateau in the late Uh, 20th century in the very beginning of the 21st century. And then it has started to rise again after that. But the primary point to be made is that over over the last five or six decades, there has been a more or less continuous increase in um, mental disorders among children. Now, over this same period of time, it's very well documented that there has been a continuous decline in children's freedom to do things on their own, including Mm -hmm. to play independently of direct adult control, but also ability to move around in the neighborhood and in the city um, on their own and with friends, the ability to have part-time jobs, the ability to do all kinds of things that children in the past have done. So that's a correlation. In addition to that, however, there are correlations showing that those children whose parents are most restrictive of them yeah. are the very children who are most likely to suffer from anxiety and depression, wow. uh, if not as children, then as uh, as young adults. Uh, there's that correlation. There's also... Um, Uh, And I could go on with other other kinds of correlation. There's retrospective studies, for example, that show that adults who do very well, who are mentally very healthy, uh, recall a life of play, whereas adults of the same generation who are less likely, when you ask them retrospectively about what their life was like as children, they recall much less play, much more constriction over their life. It's also the case, uh, this is something that most people don't, uh, are not aware of, but it's very well documented, researched by a, 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 a woman named Sonoya Luther, who unfortunately died very recently, uh, but um, she, she has done research that shows that those young people who are suffering the most, and this was research with teenagers, high school age teenagers, uh, are those very children who are going to what she calls high uh, achievement schools. These are schools where there's a lot of homework, where there's a lot of uh, pressure on children to perform well, where if you don't uh, get high grades, if you don't make the honors honors uh, role, if you don't get accepted into uh, fancy college or university, um, you feel like you're a failure. So that's also contributed to it. And there's been a rise in those kinds of pressures over time as well. But it's a, it's a mix for them, I think, of the pressure of feeling that they have to achieve well in school, combined with the fact that they're spending so much time at schoolwork and at other kinds of achievement-oriented things aimed at for pro- producing a resume in a kind of competitive atmosphere that they don't have time just to play and explore and be children themselves. So that, that's some of the empirical evidence. But, you know, I think that, I think that common sense would tell us, right? Uh-huh. That if you take play away from children, they're going to be unhappy. Isn't that common sense? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Isn't that, imagine life for a child without play or with very little play. Of course they're going to be unhappy. Play is what makes children happy. I mean, why does, you know, we are grasping at straws when when we look at social media as the reason. Maybe social media contributes to it, but that's a roundabout argument. The argument about play is absolutely, it hits you in the face, and yet we put our heads in the sand and ignore it. We don't want to admit as a society that our deprivation of children's opportunities to be children, (laughs) to play and explore and do independent things where they can develop confidence, where they can learn how to deal with the bumps in the road of life through the experience of life where they are not constantly being guided and protected by adults. You take that away from children they're going to suffer psychologically.
0: What age children are we talking about? And what do you mean by play?
1: So we're talking really about children over the whole age range from about four, where children uh, in the past already began to have a good deal of independence on through, uh, let's say 18 on through the uh, really, we're talking about the school years. The, Psychological diagnoses don't generally show up until teenage years, but some increasingly they're showing up even with younger children. But we've been depriving children uh, throughout the entire age range of independent activity that uh, we allowed them before. Uh, At least in the United States, uh, I can say with confidence that the typical... 12-year-old or 13 or even 14-year-old today is not allowed to do what I could do (laughs) when I was five and what most children could do when they were five. I could ride my bike anywhere in town. I could go off by myself and with friends. I certainly walked to school, to kindergarten, and so on and so forth. At least in the United States and in much of Europe uh, and in much of the rest of the developed world, Children are not allowed to do these things anymore. I have a definition of play, and it's it's a definition I created in part by looking at what cl- the classic play theorists have defined as play or talked about as play, and also in part by looking at what children call play themselves. And here's the definition that I've come up with. Play is an activity that has these four characteristics. The first characteristic, and I would argue for the purpose of our discussion right now, the most important characteristic is that it's self-chosen and self-directed. It's something that children themselves choose to do and take charge of. It's how children learn to be and take initiative. It's how children learn to create their own activities and direct their own activities it's how children learn that they don't always have to be dependent upon adults so that's the and when children are asked to define play and i talk i present some of the evidence of that in in the journal of pediatrics article some of the research evidence for this they uh, are very clear that it's play it's not play if an adult is initiating it. and if adult is there telling them what to do if an adult is guiding it It's not play, it's play. Play is something that children do uh, independently of adults. That doesn't mean that adults can't play, but for, for, and it also doesn't mean that it's not possible for adults to play with children, but it's difficult for adults to play with children without them taking control, which is why children throughout the world generally prefer to play away from adults, to play with other children away from adults. So that's the first character. The second characteristic is that it's intrinsically motivated. You're doing it because you want to do it. You're not doing it for some reward outside of itself. Uh You're not doing it for a grade, a gold star, a trophy, for praise from somebody to pad your resume. You're just doing it because you want to do it. Play is how children discover what they like to do and become good at what they like to do because they play at various things and they play especially at the things that they that, that they discover that they enjoy. So play is among other things, how children discover their passions, discover what they like to do and pursue what they like to do. Uh, as children go older, these kind of turn into hobbies. Uh, children, young people, teenagers used to have hobbies. Now we see much less opportunity for hobbies because they're kept busy all the time with things that are being assigned to them. The third characteristic of play, which um, seems a little paradoxical to some people when they first hear it, is that play is always structured. There's no such thing as unstructured play. People sometimes talk about unstructured play and what they mean is play that's not structured by an adult. But I'm saying that if it's structured by an adult, it's not play. <laughs> play is always structured by the children themselves. So play is how children learn to structure things. When children are playing something, they're not just randomly doing something. They're not randomly piling up blocks or just acting silly. They're, they're behaving in accordance with some guidelines in their heads of what they're playing at. So play is how children learn to control themselves. How children learn to to uh, to, to inhibit their spontaneous behavior. And to behave in accordance with a set of internal set of guidelines or rules. And when children play socially, those rules have to be agreed upon between the, the children who are playing mm-hmm. and they'll correct one another if they're not following the rules. No, you you know, maybe they're playing a game of house and you have to be the pet dog and as the pet dog you have to walk around on all fours and you're not allowed to talk and you have to go arf, arf, arf. In other words, the point I'm making is when you're playing, we're following a set of socially agreed upon rules, if it's social play, and that's how children learn to do that. I think one of the reasons we have such high levels of so-called ADHD today is that children are not having these opportunities to, to practice learning how to control their behavior for, with an internal set of mental controls as they do in play. And then finally, the fourth characteristic of play is that it's always creative. Play is, has rules, but the rules never specify precisely what you have to do at mm-hmm. any given step. That would be called ritual. Play always has these rules that are guidelines to play, but at every move in play, you are creating that move. Play is always creative, and especially for young children, it is usually highly imaginative. So the children are imagining a scene, imagining that that there's a troll under the bridge, and if there's a troll under the bridge, then we better not go under the bridge. They're engaging in this imaginative, hypothetical reasoning, which is really, in some sense, the highest level of human reasoning when they're doing this. So the the point I want to make right now is even from this definition of play, you can get a pretty good idea of all the things that children are learning in play.
0: Yeah. I'm talking to Dr. Peter Gray from Boston College, if you've just tuned in. Uh, he has a substack. We've got a link on our website. Uh, it's called Substacks, like an email newsletter. Uh, it's called Play Makes Us Human, if you'd like to look it up. And he's just published a piece in the Journal of Pediatrics. With a theory on how a lack of play may be to blame for rising anxiety and depression in kids. And astute listeners may have already worked out, Peter, that Saturday morning soccer and Tuesday afternoon soccer practice don't count as play.
1: Exactly. That is not play. That is, uh, it's a little bit more like school, it's another situation. Where children are being directed by adults, they're being told what to do. They're being micromanaged. They're not creating their own activity. They're not making the decisions for themselves. There may be some play that ha- that works itself between the cracks in that soccer. You know, the kids may be playing with one another on the bench. Yeah. But the soccer itself is not play because that's being controlled by an adult. And if the children are there because they're, they're told by their parents this would be good for them or they're there because they want to win a trophy or they're there be, for some reason other than they just really love to play soccer, then that also runs counter to the definition of play.
0: You've been thinking about the right to quit.
1: yes. Yes, the, 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 the fundamental right in play is the right to quit. Uh, and it's the right to quit that makes play the most democratic of all activities. So when children are playing together, they agree to play and they play as long as they are all happy playing. Uh, but if you're not happy playing, because there's no trophy on the line because there's no adults who are going to get mad at you or be disappointed with you if you quit uh, you if you're not happy you quit you may not quit wide array you may you may say well you know let me give let me keep trying let me I like this kid I want to keep playing with this kid but at some point if you're not happy you'll quit. So, you know, let's say one way I, I talk about this is, let's say that you and I are a couple of kids, um, and we want to play together, and I want to play this, but you want to play that, and let's say that that uh, we finally agree, so then we have to negotiate, we have to decide what it is that we might both want to play but then maybe we begin to play, and let's say I'm a bit of a bully. I, I just want to play exactly the way I want to play, and I don't listen to you about how you want to mm. play. And I say, you know, you're going to have to be the pet dog. And you say, I don't want to be the pet dog. And I say, well, I, I'm, I'm deciding here you have to be the pet dog. If you are a self-respecting kid, you will say, you know, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm not going to play that way. I quit. Now, by quitting, you have taught me a really important lesson. If I want to play with you and if I'm a normal kid, I do want to play with you. I want to play with other kids. That's part of the instinctive drive of children. Um, I've I've learned a lesson. Maybe next time I will be a little more attentive to your needs and your wishes so the right to quit, the freedom to quit, the fact that there's no baggage about quitting, there's nobody nobody telling you, there's, there's nothing, there's no loss from quitting. <laughs> the, the fact that you can quit at any time is what makes play so democratic. I we have to decide together. If it's a group playing, you know, the old way of playing baseball when I was a kid, baseball was was truly the American sport <laughs> when I was a kid mm. and we would we would have we would create our own baseball games. No adults around, there'd be big kids, there'd be little kids, there there would be good baseball players, not so good baseball players and we'd create our own team and the characteristic of that kind of a game is that everybody has to cooperate in some sense because, and and you even have, you have to keep the other players happy, including the players on the other team, which means you don't pitch your hardest to that little kid on the other team. It Mm. means you don't slide hard into second base and hurt the second baseman, because if you do, those players will quit and you've no longer got a game. So the, the primary goal in social play of this sort is to of course you want to play well because it's no fun if you're not playing well yeah. you want but the primary goal is to is to have fun to keep it going and because anybody can quit at any time That's what enforces this goal of trying to keep everybody happy. And you, you learn over time, if we really want to have a baseball game, we're not, we're never going to have nine players on every team, but we've got to have a certain number of players on every team to get anything, any kind of a semblance of a baseball game going. So we've got to keep these kids happy. And every kid is thinking that way as over time. When you've got a coach there, (laughs) the coach is is telling you what to do. And you can't easily quit, especially if your parents are there watching you, right? Which is the typical kind of Little League game today. That's nothing like play.
0: I'm really enjoying the conversation. We're almost out of time. I just want to give parents some hope, parents who are listening to you and agree with you and perhaps can see in their own lives and their own families that play has been squeezed. Um, Where to from here?
1: Where to from here is a good question. I think that we we're not going to go back to the decades when i was a child it's not going to happen it's certainly not going to happen in any any time soon if it happens at all we're a different world uh for better or worse we're much more fearful of children being hurt than we used to be the the world isn't really more dangerous for kids than it used to be, even though people think it's more dangerous. Every generation thinks it's more dangerous now than it used to be, but if you look at actual crime rates, it's not more dangerous. But people think it's more dangerous. So, so I think that I think that what we need to do to bring play back to children's lives uh, is to pro- create situations where children can congregate with other children in situations that are safe enough that parents perceive them to be safe enough that the parents themselves don't have to be there but there's some adult there, or maybe more than one adult there, who are there just for safety. They're there like lifeguards on an ocean beach. They're there to make sure that nothing terrible happens. They're not there to tell the children how to play. They're not there to to interfere. Uh, they're not there to solve little quarrels. They're not there to worry about a skinned knee. All of those things they leave to the kids. But if there's some real danger, then they would intervene. Uh, And so one of the things that I'm involved in, along with Lenore Skenazy, who wrote the book Free Range Kids, uh, and who's the president of an organization called Let Grow, which I'm also one of the founding members of. And and Jonathan Haidt is also um, a, a member of this. Uh, is that we're working with schools to bring play into schools before school and or after school where all the children and all the grades together if it's an elementary school it's you know age four or five on through about age 11 all playing together uh, so there's there's dozens, sometimes even more than a hundred kids all playing at once, playing in the playground, playing in the gymnasium, sometimes playing in the hallways, sometimes in the art room, all of these areas of school open for free play with lots of things to play with. And um, and if, they're, if teachers are monitoring it, the teachers are instructed not to intervene unless they feel they really have to for safety. Quite a number of schools are adopting this with great success so far. The children are happier they're they 're actually doing better in school uh, as well as other things to me that 's not the primary benefit. The primary benefit is they 're happier they 're making friends they are less anxious, and so on so We are currently doing a systematic studies of this in the state of New Hampshire in the United States where the the, uh, chancellor of schools uh, has uh, given us a grant for introducing this program in an experimental way into the schools so that some of the schools will have this program, some not, and we'll be assessing the uh, impact of this upon the children's mental health over time. So that's one thing we're doing, but there's a variety of other things that can be done. I refer to some of them in the article. Um, Within neighborhoods, uh, there are some neighborhoods where parents get together and they say, you know, let's all send our kids out uh, at certain hours, (laughs) like the old days. Let's shoo them out of the house, get them out of the house, Mm -hmm. Uh, but let's all do it at the same time. And let's have somebody out there, not all of us, but somebody out there just for safety in the neighborhood. Maybe it's a grandparent who's out there. Some, in some, in some of the cases that I'm aware of, it's a grandparent who's out there, who has time, who's, uh, who has a kind of an easier approach with kids than parents tend to have and um and then and that way the kids are out there they've got somebody to play with if you just all by yourself as a parent chew your kid outside the problem is there's nobody to play with we might wish that children just love the great outdoors but in fact most children love playing with other children they're not all they're not innately attracted to the great outdoors some some are very much attracted to the great outdoors but i think that the outdoors is a learned A taste, And it comes from playing with other children outdoors. So if you just send your child outdoors, your child, if they can, they're going to get on the iPhone. This is where people criticize the iPhone. They'll get on the iPhone because there's nothing else to do out there in their view. There's nobody to play with. Uh, If there are other kids to play with, they'll play. I do think that in that experiment that I just described, if so, for example, because kids here's one sense in which I very much agree with Jonathan is that kids have gotten so used to the iPhone as a, as a distraction, as something to do, as something to relieve boredom. Mm. And they haven't had much opportunity to play in other ways. Oftentimes, if they've got that iPhone, they'll go to the iPhone instead of playing in other ways, even when that opportunity arises. Yeah. So, in the in these play opportunities at school no iPhones allowed you've got to be out there without your iPhone and that's what that's what i think they would play anyway i've seen situations where kids have iPhones and they will soon learn to not use their iPhone when they can really and truly play with other kids but it may take a while for that to occur because they aren't used to playing with other kids they don't they're used to being on that, on that iPhone. So, the, so, it, so it's not a bad idea to take the iPhone away for that purpose. And similarly, in the neighborhood playgroups, you know, send, when, you're send, when everybody in the neighborhood is sending their kid out send, them out, send them outside without the iPhone, and, uh, and that'll be helpful.
0: Great chat. Dr. Peter Gray, uh, the substack is Play Makes Us Human. He's had a, had a piece published in the Journal of Pediatrics, and I've really enjoyed talking to you, Peter. Thank you so much.
1: I've enjoyed talking with you and thank you for having me on.